Thanks for listening to Musings of an ADD Mind. Let's get some warnings out of the way. This episode may contain strong language and the views and opinions expressed by the guest and hosts in no way, shape, or form represent the Oklahoma Historical Society or the state of Oklahoma. Welcome to the Musings of an ADD Mind podcast. This is your host, Jack, and I have the ADD Mind. So today I have somebody that is going to talk about a job that is probably pretty unique in terms of all the people that I've had on before. Uh, Stephanie used to work with me in the Oklahoma Shippo. She did something with inputting a lot of historic ID resource forms and matching them to pictures. But that whole time she had a fascination with certain parts of nature, (laughs) the dead parts. (laughs) And I don't mean this in a serial killer way, (laughs) more sciencey more sciencey. <laughs> but anyway, my guest today is Stephanie. So Stephanie, why don't you give us a quick rundown sort of uh, where you went to school, what yeah, you know, how you how you got to where you are. Uh, you can skip the shipo part okay. if you want to <laughs> and uh, give us a, a quick rundown. Uh, well, I you know, it's a long and winding road. I get that question a lot as to you know, people ask me my academic background and then be like, well, how did you end up here? So um, I went to my undergrad was at George Mason in Virginia. I'm from Fairfax, Virginia. Um, I had a major in history and a minor, double minor in psychology and Italian language. But I've always really liked history and wanted to go further with that. I wanted to be a professor. So I went on to get my master's um, at Durham University in Northeast England. So I have a master's in early modern history, which is about 1450 uh, Gutenberg Press development to 1750. Um, I studied social history and um, always been really interested in English history. That was my focus. And uh, George Mason didn't really have too much on, on that. Um, I think they thought, you know, it's been done. Let's move on. Um, Right. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) So no one was really interested in that. So I had to go to another country to get somebody who was interested in that. Right, Um, right. (laughs) So I uh, I, I ended up there. It's a, you know, one year program and it's um, really intense. It's a completely different system than the U.S. system. So learning that was interesting. And I go in for my my first meeting with my advisor. And it's this guy who I swear to goodness sounds like Snape. From Harry Potter, Sweet. and he's just like he's just very British and very excited about everything. And he asked me, you know, what do you, what do I want to, what am I interested in? What do I want to do my dissertation on? And I said, well, I've always been interested in death, um, how we commemorate the dead, how we bury the dead, um, funerals as a function of grieving for the living, um, etc. But I also am really interested in youth history. Um, because a lot of that has been left out because the youth, youth were very mobile during the early modern period with servants, um, apprenticeships, etc. And so he looks at me and he goes, how about dead children? <laughs> and he gets this like smile on his face. And I was like, you're my advisor. <laughs> you're like, yes. <laughs> you had so, me at dead. <laughs> absolutely. Uh, so he was super excited about it. And even one time I tried to change because there was literally nothing on what I wanted to do. And he was like, no, you're sticking with this. You're, you're gonna, you're gonna do this. So 
Um, my dissertation was on burial of apprentices in 17th century England, which was, if I can brag a little bit, the first um, in-depth study on burial and apprentices, the relationship between the guild, um, the master family and the apprentices um, that I was ever able to find. There was only an uh, article and a brief chapter of a book on it. So it was difficult, but it was super fun. And then I came back and I decided I didn't wanna be a professor because I was too poor to afford a PhD in England. And PhDs in the US take six years and then they can do a lot of stuff that just has nothing to do with what you're doing. So right. um, I thought I'd go into museums um, and then I ended up with historic preservation, which I loved being in Oklahoma. That was awesome. We did have a lot of fun while you were there. We did, yes. Yeah, I did a lot. I had a lot of fun, had a lot of challenges with um, scotch tape and chairs, walking, glass doors, things like that. Um, and well, they're different in Oklahoma than Virginia. <laughs> we don't have those things in Virginia. Or right. In, so, right, you know, right. <laughs> um, so then I, uh, for some personal issues, I uh, had to come back to Virginia and I did about a year at a probation office um, working with uh, felons on uh, probation and for the state of Virginia, which was in its own self, probably a podcast. and. Then I ended up, I now work for the Office of the Chief Medical Examiner. I do violent death surveillance um, for the Northern Office, which is in Manassas, Virginia. So that's my long and winding road at the moment. That's, in, the straight roads are the boring ones though, right? <laughs> the ones that people ask, how did you get there? Are the ones that are interesting, but. Yeah, so you're, yeah. Uh, you are Virginia's yeah. Abby Shudo. <laughs> yeah. Um, so basically, the Office of the Chief Medical Examiner, um, each state has a different type of um, system, how they deal with uh, dead people. Some have coroners, some have medical examiners. Coroners are elected officials. Um, medical examiners are a different system where you work for the state. And in Virginia, we have four different districts, North, um, Central, Eastern, and Western. So the state is divided and deaths within those locations go to those particular jurisdictions. Um, the medical examiner typically gets any cases um, here that are um, suicides, homicides, overdoses, um, accidental overdoses, um, law enforcement, anything with a law enforcement shooting or a police chase. If the person is actively being pursued by the police, that'll go to the medical examiner's office. Um, unattended natural deaths, which means if somebody is not under the care of a doctor to sign the death certificate, we'll go to the medical examiner's office. And then once where they just, they have no idea, you know, someone is found deceased, right. unfortunately, and we're not sure what happened. So they'll come in for an autopsy and toxicology um, blood testing. So I, after all of that comes in and all the bodies are autopsy, toxicology tested, the files, um, any medical files, psychiatric files, police reports, any pertinent videos, statements, et cetera, is all collected into a nice manila file. That file then comes to me and I go through it and the CDC has identified certain information that they're looking for um, that's important for them to then plan for basically who's dying of what. That's my job right. is to determine who's dying of what and why. 
Um, so I pick out that information, put it into a database and send it off to the CDC. And hopefully that will then prevent similar deaths um, in the future. Right, right. So as you were talking, I just had a thought pop in my head and uh -oh. it, maybe it's my ADHD, I don't know. But here's the thought. After they do the autopsy and they take all the organs out, do they chunk the organs or do they put them back in? So, you know, I think they usually it like goes in a bag that then goes to a funeral home. And at that point, I don't know what the funeral home, I don't know what they do with them, to be honest, but they're typically removed and they right. go out removed. They leave the office removed. <laughs> okay. They just <laughs> somebody else's problem. Stuff them in a Ziploc bag with some ice. So the body back up and they're like, Hey, funeral home, here you go. It's your job. Get rid of them. <laughs> Absolutely. Your problem now. <laughs> you guys deal with this. Yep. Yeah. That is um, obviously you don't have any problems being around dead people, clearly. <laughs> um, but was it sort of weird though when you first started or? Yeah. So in the morning, um, so I started in 2018, maybe. I've been there for three and a half years and I'm a history major, so I don't do math. So. You guys can figure that out for yourself. Right. Um, this was pre-COVID. There was a lot more physical interaction going on. In the morning, we would have what I called morning morgue meetings, um, where we would go in and see, you know, the new cases. So the doctors could look over things. There is a position called a medical legal death investigator, which is they're the ones that field the calls when the police call in saying that there's a death. Um, they go out to the scenes, they document everything. So they'll be in the morgue to answer the pathologist's questions about the circumstances under which this person died. Um, and just kind of to get a, a general feel of what each case is and who's going to do each case. So I was warned multiple times, you know, like we're having this meeting, we're all going to go in the morgue. Are you okay with seeing dead bodies? And I was like, that's fine. And, um, so we would go in every every morning and we would, you know, see the, the remains and um, it really, that really wasn't any sort of shock to me, uh, weird, strangely. Um, it didn't bother me. It didn't, wasn't, it wasn't weird. Right, right. Now, I know when you were in England, you uh, particularly enjoyed seeing the dead bodies that didn't still have the flesh on them. Yeah, those are my the skeleton. <laughs> <laughs> the skeletons, right. And <laughs> and you were there when they weren't you there when they found the scottish uh prisoners yes. that yes. were in the mass grave yes. uh, do you want to spend just a couple minutes talking about that i know it's not your current job but yeah. it sort of ties in because it's about yeah. dead people just really dead longer people yeah so the scottish um after the battle of dunbar and you probably know this better than i do 1700s yeah, um, something like that. I there's am, a there's a lot of them. I'm embarrassed um, that I don't know that. 1600s, the English brought a bunch of uh, captives, Scottish captives, to Durham Cathedral, where they held them basically, and the very sick would go over to the castle to die basically. And since that time, we knew there was a mass grave somewhere of. Um, those who died, but they had no idea where. So they're putting in a cafe in Palace Green Library. And, you know, when you dig two feet in England, you find a dead body, right? 
Right. And so <laughs> there was all this commotion and um, they found uh, multiple skeletons and initially thought it was a plague grave, which I got super excited about because I love the plague. Um, it's always good times. And then they realized after doing um, some testing that these were actually the remains of the Dunbar soldiers. And so they excavated um, a certain spot where they were going to put the cafe and they left the rest in situ. Um, and they pulled them out, did a whole bunch of testing to identify age, where they came from, what they may have died of, injuries, et cetera. Um, and then they reinterred them in another location in Durham, which was a big controversy, um, whether they would return to Scotland or be buried in English soil, um, which they eventually were buried in English soil. But that was, that was pretty cool to be able to see that and see the, the development of the archeological site and the information that they pulled out of that. Yeah, yeah, that's, that is definitely something we don't necessarily see a whole lot of here in the US. No. <laughs> <laughs> but um, yeah, so you then can attest to the fact based on your job that the CDC doesn't really say fake information that when they put data out in terms of the number of people dying and from what that it's actually legitimate and not a made-up number to scare people that's real data and they spend a lot of time from when i give them my data to when they publish it making sure it's real it's accurate they go through all my data make sure you know it looks right there's not some weird anomalies you know, it's all put in uh, the database correctly. I've answered all the questions so that when they do finally put it out to the public, it's legitimate because that's what they're trying to do. They want to take, you know, from real life to data so that they can inform real life. Right. I, I asked that just due to <laughs> the last few years. <laughs> no, it's absolutely true. Yeah. It's uh, it's sort of like when I had my son on talking about GPS satellites there's no technology remotely available to put GPS tracker chips in people. Correct. <laughs> <laughs> so, so anytime I have somebody on that can attest to the way the systems actually sort of work, I always want to get that clarification. And uh, you, of course, were able to give us some, some important clarifications. <laughs> Absolutely. Yeah. So, yeah, that's, um, have you got, to go out to any of the crime scenes or can you answer that? Um, I have not. I think um, with my position, that's typically not what uh, uh, something that's involved, but I have let my superiors know that that's important for somebody in my position to do so that the person who's doing my job understands how the medical legal death investigators are collecting the information, why they're asking the questions they ask, you know, what the police, it's, it's better to understand. I think, you know, if I had come in and gone to a death scene, listened to a death call, gone to a death scene, seen an autopsy first, I would have been a little bit more prepared for my job because I would understand the sources that things are coming from, as opposed to, you know, going in and looking at all the data and then, you know, walking in on an autopsy and seeing that, and then talking to an investigator and it's, it's, it all works all together. Um, but I do see the photos, I get crime scene photos, I get autopsy photos, um, any sort of videos, um, but I have not actually gone to a scene yet. Have, have you considered bribery? I have. 
I'm just saying a couple weeks worth of donuts might, might do the trick. (laughs) (laughs) We, uh, I, we have a, an interesting, uh, HVAC system that I'm, you know, I don't go to the scene, so I'm not, I'm not privy to the sights and smells of certain situations. However, for some reason, the morgue is linked directly to my office. So whenever we have a decomp body, you know, I'll be sitting there typing away and then I'm like, oh, like, <laughs> something's going on in there. But it's also connected to the um, forensics who are next to us. And so when they come in with a bunch of marijuana, <laughs> I'll be sitting there going, oh, there's something going on in there. You're like, woohoo, yeah. this is fantastic. <laughs> yeah. So Yay. Yeah, the smells are, are brought in and, and I see the sights all the time. So it's <laughs> yeah. Of course, I know your state doesn't have uh, medical or recreational marijuana, so. Yeah, no, it is legal, but you can't buy it. Right. So <laughs> is it really legal? You know, yeah. but then again, in your line of work, you probably don't want Snoop Dogg going and investigating a murder. So no, no, that's probably not a thing. And and one thing that we're actually seeing um, uh, overdoses have absolutely skyrocketed. I'm sure you've seen that um cdc putting out that information that information is true as well some marijuana has been laced with fentanyl right yeah fentanyl is just will just wipe out i mean it is it is 100 2000 times more potent than morphine and you right and sell it as anything right so i think we're kind of grappling with okay weed is legal how do we make it safe to make sure nobody's putting some fentanyl in it right yeah, so that's um, that's something that's kind of coming out of the the legalization of marijuana and our office with, you know, where's the fentanyl coming from? What are they putting it in? Who's, you know, who's making it? Right. Yeah. My uh, simple aside, my daughter was recently getting pumped a lot of fentanyl in her system, along with Dilaudid and ketamine. But that happens when you are a burn survivor in the ICU. Absolutely. <laughs> and they would give her fentanyl and it, she would just go from a, you know, on the pain scale from like a 20 to an 18. And it just shows you what a human body in pain can actually tolerate. Yeah. <laughs> and so, um, yeah, you definitely don't want fentanyl running on the streets, but when you're in a horrible ICU situation, you are glad there is fentanyl. Yeah. Yeah. And we need, you know, doctors, who know how to and when to prescribe those kinds of things, you know, yeah. burn victims, they need painkillers, you know, somebody who scratched their finger, they don't need oxycodone, you know? <laughs> <laughs> right, right. Yeah. And of course the treatment for being a burn patient is almost as painful as the actual accident that made you need to be a patient, <laughs> a burn patient. So yeah, it is a, I was much happier not, knowing this stuff but anyway (laughs) enough about me (laughs) (laughs) i uh, think my husband was a lot happier not knowing with me not knowing like all the horrible things that happen to people (laughs) (laughs) right how are you what are you doing drive safe (laughs) (laughs) seen i guess not actually seen but you know putting in the paperwork and everything and i know that you can't talk about cases or anything like that but that has to be sometimes, especially if you're dealing with the murder or something like that, that has to have some sort of effect on you. Um, do you how, how do you not bring that home? Or do you? 
I, I think I do. Um, I, I'm working on it. Um, the past, the, the first two years were relatively easy. I don't know why, maybe because it was relatively new. Um, and now I'm just internalizing it. I sit at a desk all day, but I come home and I feel like I ran a marathon. The emotional availability you have to have to try to figure out why someone chose to end their life or why someone chose to kill someone else, you're trying to get inside their brain. Mm -hmm. It can be extremely exhausting. And I think I do, I bring that home in the guise of being neurotically overprotective. (laughs) You know, (laughs) right. You know, don't talk to this person. They might stab you, you know, (laughs) but it's, it gets in your head and you see these things and you think, you know, to you, it's like plane crashes. If you show it on, you know, uh, TV all the time, people think it happens all the time. You know, if you see these crimes all the time, you think they happen all the time, but within the population, they're, you know, relatively small, but it, I, I definitely bring it home and I definitely am still working on an outlet for, for that. Um, because unfortunately, especially with COVID, I'm very isolated. Um, there's four people in the state that do this and they're in the districts, the different right. districts. So there's nobody in my office who does what I do. You guys aren't going out for lunch. We're not. For <laughs> <laughs> sure. Um, but uh, yeah, it's um, it's a lot to process. And then once you you know realize you're, you're struggling a little, it's like, where do I go from here? So um, Have, if you don't want to answer, that's fine. Have you considered therapy or are you in it? (laughs) (laughs) And, and, you know, for anyone else who's trying to get therapy right now, uh, it is hard. Um, Oh yeah. It is difficult. I mean, they're slammed and I feel for them, but I also feel for me. (laughs) (laughs) Right. Yeah. No. Uh, Yeah. When I was trying to find my therapist after I got back with my daughter, Mm -hmm. I probably made 75 phone calls. Absolutely. Trying to find somebody. Yeah. Uh, now, now in the end, I ended up finding somebody that was the perfect therapist for me. So I guess the 75, the 76th phone call was the one that was worth it. I just yeah. wish I started out with him. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Oh, I know. I know. No, it has been very difficult to find uh, consistent treatment. A lot of times someone, you know, a, a doctor's office will say like, okay, we can see you, but you're not going to see the same therapist. I'm like, where's the continuity in that? Yeah, that's. We explain everything each time. You, you got to start, yeah. We can see you, but we can't. Right. Yeah. <laughs> if you like, got to start over each time, it sort of defeats the purpose because you never right. get past stage one. So, Absolutely. yeah. Did at the start of the cove, did it affect the amount of dead people that came through the office? Any at all? Did it slow down the murdering? No, murder, everything's gone up. Um, overdoses have exploded. I mean, that's not, they're not, no, nothing's even close. Um, suicides have increased a little, but not as much as I think we initially expected. Um, but unfortunately, domestic violence and resulting homicides have increased because of stay-at-home orders. Um, people working from home, they're forced to be in a small space together by themselves with their children and their spouse. And I guess that, you know, when there's a situation where it's contentious, that tends to boil over. And um, more homicides across Virginia 
um, I'm not sure about nationally, but I know uh, the other districts are definitely seeing an increase in homicides. See, all of the stay at home and all of that, I was, the world had finally come to me. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you know, the, the no hugging. Right. Oh, absolutely. <laughs> the the not. <laughs> yeah. Oh, dang. Sorry, I can't hug you. There's oh, pandemic. COVID. Yeah. Oh, sorry, I can't come over. Uh-huh. You know, it's. We're, we're in a lockdown. Sorry. Uh, yeah. Oh, no. You keep your 10 feet away from me, pal. Don't touch me. Yeah. <laughs> if six feet is good, 10 feet's even better. <laughs> my husband and I were saying that, like, oh, sorry, we can't come out tonight. COVID. <laughs> and I love masks. I know some people hate masks, but I love that I don't have to put makeup on that part of my face. I, I enjoyed them. My allergies were so much better. Really? Yeah, because like all of the allergens, my mask was filtering them out. And it was like, hey, this is awesome. Can we just Uh wear masks all the time? But oh, oh, no. And the the other thing I learned is that I'm perfectly capable of doing my job in gym shorts. Yeah. Oh, yeah. I think a lot of people learn that. And sometimes you do it even better in gym shorts because you're, you're more comfortable. Yeah. And since we've gone back to work, I've been on a crusade for them to amend the dress code to allow business casual shorts. And I think they think I'm joking, (laughs) (laughs) but I'm not. No, no. We should be able to wear shorts. (laughs) Oh yeah. Well, I, you know, I never experienced that because I'm, I can't take, I can't take the bodies home with me. I can't take the files home with me. So I was going every day we were just a lot more isolated, like close your door, don't talk to anyone, but we got to wear jeans and, you know, less, less dress up clothes. So that was fun. And we're still doing that. Um, but it was, it was weird to try to isolate at work. Right. You know, especially with the kind of job we do, because you got to talk to someone and I don't talk to anyone during the day except for my husband, because he calls me and the um, custodial staff who are just so sweet and are trying to teach me Spanish, but I'm a very slow learner. (laughs) (laughs) Well, the older you get, the harder it is to learn a different language. So So there's that. Um, If the easiest language to learn as a English speaker is Frisian, which is one of the languages in Holland, because it's something like 45% English because Frisian and Old English started out together. They were the same language. And they, so that's why it's easier to learn. <laughs> so there you go. You could learn you some Frisian. Will that help you in the modern day United States? Not one bit. No, but I could confuse some people if I just started spouting it. Yeah. And <laughs> I know that confusing people has always been one of your jams. It's fun. I'm confused. Usually, so <laughs> I'm on my level. Right. Hence your issue with scotch tape. Absolutely. <laughs> yeah. No. Yeah. It's just interesting that you just have a job that 90%, probably even more than that, of the population doesn't ever consider, except for it being on TV shows. Oh, right. Absolutely. And oh, yeah. I'm sure that's completely nothing like what it really is. There's not one body in a big room and the guy walks around talking to the body going, Steve, what happened to you, brother? What happened to you? No. You know, I'm, I'm sure that's not how it is. There's probably multiple bodies with multiple autopsies going on at once. Yep. 
Yep. There's literally there's three at once going on in our in our office, and it's it's big and open. It's not like small and dingy and like you know creepy looking. It's all modern. Um, but I do well, get that when we watch you know movies where people have autopsies. My husband will be like, "Is that real? Is that real?" Or um, he uh, he is an art director for film, and sometimes he has to do crime scene recreations. So he like, is this, you know, is this real? Do you think this is real enough? <laughs> you know, does this hey, look right? Hey, maybe you could get a gig as a consultant, as a crime yeah. scene recreator. Yeah. You know, that probably pays better than a state job. What I did. <laughs> <laughs> right. <laughs> the same, maybe, you know, maybe in the future you could be the creative consultant on murder scenes. Yeah, that blood stuff doesn't look quite right. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, it looks a little too much like Big Red. You need to thicken that up with a little <laughs> corn syrup there. Yeah, yeah, that just doesn't that doesn't look right. Here, this is how it should look, and then actually murder the people on set so they can know what an actual crime scene looks like. I mean, it has to be authentic, right? What, you, what else are you can do? Yeah, Stephanie and I obviously used to joke about stuff like this frequently at work. <laughs> Uh, I don't know if you remember the concept we had for a book, the serial killer that worked at the body farm in Tennessee. Yes. Yep. It, yes. <laughs> that's where he got rid of all of his bodies. <laughs> and if we see a book in the next year that comes out with that, we are going to sue you for copyright infringement. And if I see a serial killer come out, I'm going to sue you because that was our idea. <laughs> yeah. We thought of it first. <laughs> <laughs> Not bodies in the body farm. Yeah, if you are one of the body farm employees, don't get this idea from us. Do it. If you decide to start, you know, frequently murdering people. But we just always felt that was a good way to get rid of the bodies. I think it's a perfect way to do it. You know, nobody asks any questions. and You're, so, you're supposed to be carrying around bodies. So if you're carrying around a body, no one's going to say anything. Yeah. You know, and then when somebody walks around and they're like, you know, Nigel, there, I think there's a new body out there that wasn't there yesterday. There are no records of it. Yeah. And then Nigel's got to be like, God damn it. Now there's going to be another body out there. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> yep. Oops. Dang it. You're going to wish that you hadn't uh, realized that. Yeah. Because now things are about to be very dead for you. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. You're going to be very dedicated to your work at the body farm. Yeah. So is there at least some truth to the fact that, you know, the examiner, medical examiner offices are always in the basements of other buildings? Is that true? Oh, ours is in at least. And, and I don't think I haven't visited the other districts. Um, we're supposed to, but because of COVID, that obviously um, got shut down. But no, ours is um, ground floor level. It's got nice lighting. It's um uh there is sort of a a hallway in the back where there's like the um sort of safe room like if somebody comes in with some sort of crazy disease and they have to do the autopsy they'll do that there um and that's oh. dingier um but no it's on the ground floor it looks it's nice and bright and open and yeah they always they're always dark and i'm like but if you're doing an autopsy it just seems to me in tv shows it's like it seems to me that you would probably want a lot of light to see what, what you're doing. <laughs> right. You know, you got have to actually look at, you know, the liver or right. the kidneys. Right. And 
a dark dungeon room just doesn't seem like it would make that very effective. Even if you have the head flashlight thing going on. Yeah. <laughs> you shouldn't need a head flashlight. If you're cutting open a body, you need to be able to see what you're doing. Exactly. That should be. <laughs> that's, a, that's a starter. Yeah. So when I see stuff like that, I'm like, I just, I know that maybe for the aesthetics of your show, that probably works, but that is so probably not realistic. No, maybe, you know, small coroner's offices, but, you know, most, most places understand that, you know, when you're cutting into a head, you need to be able to see if it's actually the head you're cutting into as opposed to the leg or your own head. Right, right. Yeah, you, you want to know that. Was, you know, one of the employees taking a nap. They ate their lunch. And <laughs> you're like, oh, God dang it. I just killed, I just killed oh, Betty. Damn it. Farm. <laughs> <laughs> right? <laughs> I have this weird problem where I can watch, say, Star Wars, Guardians mm -hmm. of the Galaxy, Doctor Strange. That is a weird problem. It, and I could go in there and my, I can suspend my disbelief no problem whatsoever with that, right? I go in there. It's because I go in there knowing from the get-go, everything in here right. is, you know, such a major fictional thing. But when I watch something that is supposed to be grounded and based in reality type of a movie, when it's something that obviously isn't how it would actually work in real life, I have a hard time getting over that and it irritates the hell out of me. I can't watch Pretty Woman because hookers don't look like Julia Roberts. Because <laughs> I know what prostitutes do. <laughs> <laughs> they just don't look like that. And they don't have a heart of gold and marry rich guys. And I have this premise that I just can't suspend my disbelief for that. Right. right? And it's the same thing with morgues in movies. They'll show them and they're all dark. And I'm like, but it wouldn't be dark. No. It would, no, it would it be bright. Yeah. We're not going to have lightsabers anytime soon, right? So I can, <laughs> I go into that knowing that's not going to happen. You can continue to suspend your disbelief of that. Yeah, but I want realistic morgues. Yeah. Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. God, gosh darn it. <laughs> <laughs> the other thing that bugs me is somebody that has had a shoulder reconstruction surgery uh -huh. is um, you cannot get shot or stabbed in the shoulder, shoulder and throw a punch. And keep, yeah, keep running, you know, punch people, grab up on a bar and pull yourself up. <laughs> yeah. After the surgery, they have fixed whatever the problem is. And you can only move your arm about two inches. Yeah. And before yeah. the surgery, while I could raise my arm to about shoulder height, that was it. And I can assure you, I was not throwing punches. No. No. <laughs> so that is always something since I had that surgery that just pisses me off and I can't watch in a movie and I'm like, God damn it. Now I'm out. <laughs> so, yeah, I, I imagine now you can no longer watch shows like NCIS and, you know, CSI. I, I like picking the things out. The biggest thing I think is um, like criminal investigations when, you know, they'll find a body. Um which, uh, what was it? We were watching Breaking Bad and I love Breaking Bad, but I don't want to give any spoilers. A person in the show died and the family like ran into the scene and are like picking things up and talking to the police and, you know, walking all over the scene. And it's like, that is not how that happens. You can't just walk into the scene of a crime and chat with the police officers, you know, pick up the phone, look through her phone or his phone and, 
It's like, none, that's not how this happens. Yeah, because that gets the guilty person off because you just contaminated the crime scene, right? right? So the defense attorney is going to be like, the family was walking around. How do you know that that footprint wasn't their footprint in the blood? You know, they made snowing. They made blood angels in the blood, Blood the the puddle of blood. You know, the coroner asking the family, come on in, like, make sure, is this the person? Like, you're not going to identify them on, it's just, I think that's more the, the, they need to get worked out is, you know, the, the process of police, EMS, coroner, you know, who comes in, what their jobs are, you know, the, the, the medical examiners are not carrying guns, you know, and acting as police officers, right. medical specialists. Yeah, yeah, no, that's, uh, while CSI did have a lot of, you know, fun and mysterious murders Yes. They're not the ones solving it. Yeah. <laughs> and I don't know. Sometimes I get the feeling that the cops probably only go over there when they have to. Yeah. I mean, it depends, you know, on the situation. If it's not a, sometimes we'll get like me- things that, you know, come in as a medical call. Um, and so the police won't respond because EMS responds. They've covered it good to go. And then when they come into our office, we'll find out they've got something, you know, they've got a, it's usually it turns into an overdose Um, right but yeah sometimes the there is minimal police response if they're not the ones who can really do anything the ms are on scene they're the ones who save the lives let's (laughs) you know focus on them and let them get their job done right right and sort of on that topic but related to the other thing so medical examiners don't say just put down the cause of death as something else to put to expand a narrative like, like, for example, say there was um, llama pox yes. and it was and it was spreading the globe. Yes. They wouldn't when someone died of, say, a parachute accident yes. on the death certificate put they died of llama pox. No, absolutely not. Um, it, is that because they would probably if that got found out, especially if you were doing it, say, frequently would end up in prison? Absolutely. I can't say that, you know, there's no corrupt medical examiners out there. Um, but at ours and, and the general medical examiner population are very um, thorough in their investigation and very honest about everything. Um, and, and they take it very seriously? Very seriously. They, I mean, we'll have cases that go undetermined for a while because they can't nail it down and they don't want to say, First, they don't want to say it's undetermined because that doesn't help the family, right? Right. They also don't want to say, okay, it was llama pox when it could have been, you know, cat pox. They want to say what it actually is and have all of the scientific and um, evidence in there. Um, Yeah. And and one thing that came up with COVID, I think, was, you know, people were, uh, sometimes people became upset when... In, in not in our office, but you know, I, I'd see things in, in uh, the news that you know, well, this person didn't die of COVID, you know, right. they had COPD. But the way COVID works is like you wouldn't have died of COPD on this day if you didn't have COVID, right? It's the COVID that killed you, the COPD made it more likely for you to die, right? So if it's, it's not always cut and dry, like with a, with a parachute accident, you know, splish, and that's it, right. <laughs> but, <laughs> but you know, when you've got a lot of different things going on in the body, there there are a lot of situations where there are multiple issues that cause death. And if one of them wasn't there, like COVID, it w- they wouldn't have died. 
Right. So yes, COVID can kill this person. Right. Well, I've I've sort of always said um, if I have type one diabetes and I'm jogging through a trail in say Northern California and a mountain lion jumps out and attacks me. Right. <laughs> and and I die from it. It it wasn't my type one diabetes that killed me. No. It was the mountain lion attacking me that did it, right? right. <laughs> or, uh, or what is it when you, uh, when your blood doesn't clot perf- uh, the way it's supposed to? Yeah, hemophilia. So if you have that and a mountain lion attacks you, you didn't <laughs> die because your blood wouldn't coagulate after the claws of the mountain lion smacking you upside the face and they're, and then biting you in the neck. Yes. You died because the mountain lion clawed you in the face and bit right. you in the neck. <laughs> right, they cut through your jugular and that's it, you know? Yeah, you can have multiple issues right. going on and then right. die of something else. Right, you can identify what, yeah, absolutely, they do. It's always, you know, uh, I think sometimes people might think, oh, you're working with the police. Well, the police want this or you're working with, you know, Politicians, politicians want the death certificate to say this. They're not swayed by that at all in any way. And they're, they, you know, I'm sure there are many situations where they're put under pressure by, you know, politics or whatever. But, it, you know, everyone I've worked with is, you know, very, right. very good about that. And sometimes it's not what people want to hear, but it's it's what you have to put on there. So you have to yeah. you know, be honest about it. Well, that's sort of been... And obviously, you know this, it's your freaking job. The CDC keeps records of if you die in America, they know about it. Yep. <laughs> you know, if you died because you stepped on a rusty thumbtack and yeah. that infects you when you die, that's the yep. cause of death at the CDC. And that's how, as COVID was going on, you knew the numbers were average because the numbers of the other deaths didn't drop or change, right? right. If you have an average of 30,000 people a year that die from the flu, during COVID, that number didn't drop to, well, actually it did because people, the flu is not a good example because the mask prevented the flu spreading. And so let's say cancer, because people were still croaking of cancer. So if 100,000 people a year in the United States die from cancer, the CDC has a record of that. And if they were faking and changing cancer deaths to COVID deaths, all of a sudden there would be like this huge drop of every other type of death. But the numbers stayed consistent. The only one that changed was flu. And that's because flu and COVID spread the same way. So if you aren't yeah, the steps you yeah the steps you take to prevent COVID are also work very well for flu. And I think in the U.S. we've been wrong. Maybe we should be wearing masks during flu season. I'd be fine with it. I'm gonna rock a mask all the time. <laughs> right. And you know, so there's so there's that. Now I will say it was weird the first time I went into a bank wearing a mask. <laughs> You're like, I'm not here to rob you. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I just got to take care of some business. <laughs> Here, read this note. <laughs> yeah. Can I talk, you know, uh, anyway. <laughs> Although I did have a thought, would cat pox make it to where every, if you got infected with it, every time you walked by a table, you'd push all the glasses off? Probably. Full of liquid? I don't think so, yeah. And then every time your loved one tried to give you a belly rub, you'd Scratch claw them and smack them? Absolutely. Yeah, it doesn't. Yeah, you'd refuse, our cat refuses to eat certain types of food, even though he loved it the day before. So right. 
you, you'd sniff at it and then you'd look at whoever's feeding you and, and with disgust. Yeah. Cat pox doesn't sound like a very good type of plague to have. It sounds horrible. Not for whoever's taking care of you. <laughs> <laughs> and maybe if you have it, it's not bad. Yeah. <laughs> yes, Lump. For 18 hours. That sounds pretty good to me. Yeah. Llama pox, on the other hand, just makes you really cute and woolly with yeah. the soft fur, you know. I could have seasonal llama pox. Yeah. Yeah. I would be acceptable. Yeah. The worst thing about when you contact or contract monkey pox is that when someone pisses you off, you want to throw poo at them. <laughs> <laughs> that could be fun. <laughs> As long as you glove up before you start chunking the poo. Yeah. <laughs> well, that went in an odd direction. I didn't see us going there. <laughs> I think that's you always end up talking about playing poop. <laughs> if you don't end there, no. you know, where are you going to end? So, yeah, no. Well, we're, we're actually kind of getting close to the end of recording time. Is there anything else or anything that you would sort of like to tell us about your job that is sort of unique or different or what to do if you encounter a dead body oh if you encounter a dead body call 911 and step away <laughs> you're, um, you're saying don't walk through the puddle of blood don't walk through the puddle of blood if they're like really dead that's when you call if you think they might still be alive you know, check for a pulse if you live in an area where uh, opioid overdoses are high. Um, you can go to your local CVS, Walgreens, et cetera, and actually get Narcan, which reverses opioid overdoses. So, you know, if you live with someone who um, suffers from an addiction or you live in an area like a, uh, you're somebody in your apartment complex, um, so you can have it on you. So if you see it, you can reverse that. And then after you administer the Narcan, you still want to call 911 because it does, um, it only works for a certain amount of time. So. Right. Yep, they made that available now so you can get it without a prescription, which is good. Yes. And as long as you have it beforehand, you don't want to walk in and be like, oh, crap, I got to run to Walgreens. Hold on, man. <laughs> I got to drive down here. Oh, they don't have it here. Let me go to the other one. And call a 911 is probably the, uh, the, faster, the faster option in that case. But if you have some, yeah. so if you are married or live with somebody who has an addiction, maybe you could plan ahead and have some of that ahead of time. That's, uh, ac <laughs> that's actually something I've never thought about, but then again, I don't live with somebody that has that issue. So, yeah. so there is that. Yeah. A lot about things that you never thought you would learn about. Um, and it's kind of like a view into, into people's lives that typically people don't get. Right. Right. So without giving anything away, has there ever been something that comes through and you're like, what the fuck was that person thinking? Yeah. <laughs> There's somewhere like you look at the pictures and you're like, which one's up? Like, what's going on? Yeah. Why did they think that should go there? <laughs> exactly. Yeah. yeah. Well, that came up in the probation office too, but. <laughs> what led to this? Yeah. What were you doing? Oh, drugs. That's what you were doing. Can you come back to life to tell us what the hell were you thinking? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Absolutely. Yeah, there's a lot, there's a lot of that going on, but <sighs> split decisions sometimes don't turn out too well. Uh, yeah, that is true. My cousin cousin's wife was an ER nurse, ER trauma nurse for many, many years, and 
She has many a story about things being put in orifices that they should not be put into, and it never ends out ends up good. <laughs> I have the weird warnings on things like, don't put this in. This is for topical use only, not inside use. And you're like, ooh. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Yeah, you know, maybe you shouldn't have done that and you might still be alive. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Exactly. Yeah. So, well, I appreciate you talking about really, you know, an aspect of a job and a career that somebody can have that nobody else thinks about except for when you're watching TV. Absolutely. Yep. And I know Virginia, we're, uh, we're uh, short on medical examiners. So anyone who is interested in that, it is a, it's a great career and there's openings and medical yeah. legal investigators as well. That's a, that's a fun thing too. Go to www.virginia. I slice open dead bodies.com dot gov. Dot I see dead people. Right. Dot gov. There's a solid chance that she sees dead people is going to be the title of this episode. I mean, I do. There's actually somebody at work that has that on there. Their thing. It says, it's like a cartoon. It says, I see dead people. And then it says, oh, wait, I'm at work. Right, right. Well, maybe I'll entitle it, she's adjacent to seeing dead people. <laughs> oh, I see them. <laughs> right. <laughs> she sees the picture, lots of pictures of dead. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Yeah. Not in person to us. It's COVID, really, too much. But uh... yeah. And I do know that, you know, one of, the ideal vacation for you is to like go to Paris and go to the underground thing where it's all of the bodies that are, you know, the bones that are the walls. Oh yeah. Oh um, yeah. When I, when I was in Sicily, we went um, in Palermo, the Capuchin Crips and I was with, um, uh, I was studying abroad. And so I was with our study abroad group and, you know, people go down there and most of the females are like, this is gross. And some of the men are like, this is disgusting. So they're down there for like five minutes. Right. Well, at times, time to leave. Everyone's getting on the bus, and the guide is like, "Where's Stephanie?" And <laughs> my friend's like, "I think I saw her crawling in one of those crypts down there." <laughs> I was just like, "You're the weirdo. You're the one we need to watch. Keep her on a leash." <laughs> you're the only one that goes in there, and you're like, "I have never been happier in my entire life." I could stay down here for hours. Yeah. To be, to be honest, I, when you did get married and you went, you know, I was fully expecting you to do something like that for your honeymoon. <laughs> Overnight in the Capuchin Crips. Right. Yeah. Yeah. We're going to, we're going to go to Turkey and crawl around in this weird cave full of dead bodies. Give me any ideas. Yeah. Nothing says welcome to marriage, like a, a cave full of bones. Oh, he's aware. <laughs> 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 there's a joke to be made there and i'm not going to make it yeah <laughs> i'll just leave that to everyone's imagination <laughs> that's your homework figure out what that joke is that's right <laughs> so well i think we've kind of reached the sort of the end of end of the road um which if you listen to my other podcast you know that i have an issue with that song by boys to men so that's always fun and exciting but anyway we have reached the end of that end of the show so stephanie thank you for coming on i really appreciate you taking time out of your day to discuss this but i think it was very interesting and informative and that's the whole point of having people on to do this so absolutely thank you for having me so thank you yes i appreciate you coming on so anyway folks um, i'm gonna end the show the way i do remember 
try to live your life in a way that would make Bob Ross proud. Bye. Thank you for listening to Musings of an ADD Mind. If you enjoyed this podcast, or even if you didn't, please hit the subscribe or follow button. This podcast is a production of Hyper Focused Media.